What's up, Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. It's David with Isaac. He is back from vacation. The food in Houston did not put him in a coma. He was able to survive it. Man, okay, before we get into basketball, we got to have this in and out conversation, bro. I know, I know, I, I get it, right? There's not an in and out in Memphis or not really one close to Memphis, so you got to try it. But what was it worth it? Like, how would... If we're raising Man. burger joints, like chain burger joints, where does In-N-Out rank for you after that visit? Well, man, you're really going to be upset because finally, I had it twice uh, while I was at Houston, man. Got it got what? it again, man. Yeah, man. It was <laughs> oh, we got to, on draft night. Uh, that That's what we ended up getting, man. We were trying to find something quick. Uh, we couldn't really go to dinner because I, I had to be in a hotel to watch the draft. So we just went and grabbed In-N-Out, man. We liked it so much the night before. Uh, we got it again, man. But it, it's good stuff. Uh, like I said, I mean, it, of course, it's not gourmet or anything. We're not talking about <laughs> yeah, gourmet yeah, burgers or anything. But as far as fast food burgers go, man, it's probably one of the best. And I'm a big fan of Whataburger. We currently don't have Whataburger. They're, they're actually in the process of building like four in the city. Uh, so it's coming back. They had it here years ago. Uh, but it's coming back to the city now. So we have Whataburger. And I'm a big, big Whataburger fan. I was like, everybody always compares Whataburger in and out, man. I was like, man, I've been... Several places went in and out, but I've never tried it. I always end up going Whataburger. I was like, I'm going to get in and out this time, man. And I tried it, man. You got to get that burger animal style. Uh, get the fries animal style, man. It's like a – I don't even know, man. They had some kind of dressing to it with bacon. It, it, it's good stuff. Uh, I, I think burger-wise, I think I would go with in and out fries. I would probably go with Whataburger. Uh, but they're both good, man. But I, I enjoyed it, man. It, it, it's really good stuff. A lot of people say it's trash, man. I don't, I don't get that. Like I, I think it, it's pretty good to me, man. I, I enjoyed it. Like I said, end up getting it twice, man. I know that's that's kind of crazy, man. On vacation, to eat in and out twice, man. But that's that's what ended up happening. I can't believe the wife done it, man. Look, look <laughs> good on her. Yeah, like, babe, that, that that's a real one. Like, hey, I got I got to watch the draft. We just gonna eat this in and out twice. But that that's, yeah. that's a team player. I love to hear it, man. So I, I was giving you a little bit of crap about it, eating it on vacation. But, I, man, I, I typically do the same thing. If there is – when I go on vacation, I don't want to eat chain restaurants that I can eat at home. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not going to go like – you go to McDonald's, go to McDonald's or something. Yeah, Taco Bell. man. <laughs> or, or, like, oh, let, let's go to uh, uh, Olive Garden or yeah. Chili's. Ah, yeah. Nope. No, like, I eat at those places. They're not my favorite places when I'm at home, but I'll eat at them. But when I'm on vacation, it's like, nah, get, give me something different for sure. So, all right, we'll, we'll get away from the food. Welcome back, by the way. Glad to have you, man. I, I've, I've ran a couple of shows without you. Hadn't been yeah. the same. We, uh, we're getting close to summer league. We will have Candace back for some summer league chat. Uh, hopefully here pretty soon. I hadn't talked to her, but I know that she's down for it. So we, we're getting – I know that you will know. I was talking with Steven uh, about this. Summer League, Salt Lake City starts the fifth. Is that right? Yeah, uh, okay. I got the Grizzlies full schedule. Grizzlies take on Philadelphia. I want to say on on July fifth uh, on Tuesday, day after Fourth of July get started. Man, they got three games out there, and then at least four in Las Vegas, depending on how the playoffs and championship and all that stuff works out. So at least you're getting at least seven games at minimum uh, between the two summer leagues, and not much time in between them. I think the Grizzlies play. I got it. Got it here somewhere. Uh, Grizzlies play on the fifth. Six and seven, so they play three days in a row um, in Salt Lake, man. So you're gonna be getting action high and heavy, man, out in Salt Lake, and then they have a, have a day off. Um, then there's Saturday the ninth, Sunday the tenth, uh, Tuesday the twelfth, 
and Thursday the 14th at least um, in Las Vegas. So, man, you're going to have action almost every night, only a couple days off um, in between both summer leagues, man. So it's going to be going to be fun, man. I'm excited about it. Uh, Grizzlies got a, a, a big complement of rookies, I think, more than they expected uh, going to the night. I know more than all of us expected. I don't think anybody expected them to come out of this draft with, with four rookies and undrafted free agent, man. Five new guys they're, they're bringing in, man. So that's going to be interesting. Definitely not what I expected going in. Not at all, bro. Like we were all like, ah, oh, there's no way to execute all three picks. And they're like, ha ha, surprise. Here we go. No, we're we're not we're going to do three. We're going to do four. And, and, <laughs> and we're going to sign Kenneth Lawton after the yeah. fact. So here you go. So we're going to jump into that. We're going to talk about it. We have Jake LaRavia at 19, uh, David Roddy at 23, Kennedy Chandler. And I, man, I thought I had it written down. Was he 39? Is that where they got 38? 38. 38. And yeah. then um, Vince Williams, they stayed in their 47 spot. Vince Williams Jr. out of VCU. That's the four guys that they got. Before we get into the real conversation of it, I like the prospects. I like the guys that they got. I like what they bring to the table. And once I was able to take a step back and look at, okay, what is the fit? Because this team has – would you agree or disagree that this team has – a core that could win an NBA championship with Jaron Jackson, John Morant, Desmond Bain. But I, I definitely think so. Um, and I've been vocal about that uh, much to, to Warriors fans. Agreeing during that, after that series, I'm on record time and time again saying that if, if it wasn't for the injuries, I really do think this team could have won a championship this year. I mean, you look at how the thing played out. I know Dallas has been a tough matchup, but I believe in a seven-game series. I believe the Grizzlies would have beat that team. And, and you saw how Golden State kind of handled Boston. Boston was a little bit disappointing in, in that final series. And if, if Golden State could beat them that way, I think the Grizzlies probably could have beat them as well. Uh, I wouldn't have been as confident going in, but after watching how that series played out, I definitely think the Grizzlies would have had a chance in the NBA Finals. So, yeah, I, I'm 100% believe that that core of, of guys they have in place, that they're, they're good enough to, to win a championship, whether it's now or later. So let's talk about the weaknesses from this Grizzly squad, who, in my opinion, played the Warriors the toughest in the playoffs. And I've talked to a number of different Warrior fans that agree with that, that the, the Grizzlies, if John Moran is healthy, the game four that was in Golden State that the Grizzlies ended up losing whenever you didn't have John Moran to close the game, they they led the entire game except for like the last 40 seconds, and you have Dylan Brooks trying to close the game. Love Dylan. Dylan is not John Morant. We all know that. Grizzlies fans know that. The entire world knows that. But you had some delusional people saying that that was not the case. Yeah. If the Grizzlies win that game, that series goes to seven. And, and it's a lot more interesting. There's a lot of stuff that happens. You know, no telling. what You know, if, if he's healthy, they get to game seven at Memphis. I like the Grizzlies' odds of winning that series. But one of the things that we discussed leading up into the playoffs and even throughout the playoffs a little bit was the Grizzlies' half-court offense. The way the Grizzlies were successful through the regular season was being disruptive, creating turnovers, running the floor, getting points in transition, getting second-chance points. And in the playoffs, teams were able to neutralize that a little bit and things stalled, so the half-court offense was an issue. We're looking at these prospects – Jake LaRavia, six foot eight inch forward coming out of Wake Forest. 
He's a guy that can shoot the ball from three. He's got quick hands. He is kind of a a, a tweener. Like what position? Is yeah. he a three? Is he a four? But you know, a guy that is on this Grizzlies roster that's he's a free agent. He may not come back. Kyle Anderson is kind of that, right? Like is Kyle Anderson a three? Is Kyle Anderson a four? He kind of played both, but he he was more of an in between guy because like his his offensive game was more of one than the other but defensively he was very like he could guard multiple positions and I think that LaRavia is kind of that like I think that he can be a guy that will be able to guard multiple positions but not because he's a guy that has elite foot speed he just has a high basketball IQ and he's very pesky and on top of that LaRavia can shoot the three that's something that Kyle Anderson was not able to do. He had the one good year when Jaron was down, the majority of it. And then this year, the the shoulder issues seemed to bother him. And you see that hitch back in his shot, and he's not shooting the ball nearly as well from three. So I think, to me, my mindset, I'm looking at the archetype of what Jake LaRavia is. And I feel like he is an upgraded version of Kyle Anderson. Maybe not year one. You may need some time to develop him. But because he can kind of do some of the same similar things that Kyle Anderson was doing, and he can knock down that three, he gives you the upgrade in the half-court offense. And then you, you look at a guy, we talk about long-term, Jaron being the five for this team. And I said, if Jaron is going to be the five for this team, there's no way that BC can be the four because neither of those guys are – um, bangers. They're not bruisers. You got to have a guy that's a bruiser. And, and I've seen all kinds of crazy wild stuff about, oh, uh, Roddy's going to be a two or Roddy's going <laughs> to be this, right? Roddy is like a big body dude. He's going to play the four. Yeah, Charles he ain't Barkley, playing no two. <laughs> like Charles Barkley was six foot six. He played the four because he was a big body dude. Roddy is a big body guy. And please, like I've seen the comparison between Barkley and Roddy. I'm not saying that. I will never say that. But David Roddy can get buckets in the half court. He can post up. He can knock down the mid-range shot. And he can be that bruiser next to Jaron Jackson Jr. So if we're talking about fit of just these two guys that they moved up to get, how do you feel about these two guys? Um, like I said, man, I've had thoughts on kind of the process. To me, what, for me, what they did in the first round, it, it's not so much who they drafted, it's how they drafted them. Uh, but as far as the prospects themselves, like, I don't hate them at all. Like I said, I had, you look at my list, I had a top 10 list of guys for the Grizzlies at 22 and 29, guys I kind of liked in that range. And he was on that list. He was number 10, but he was on that list. Um, apparently the Grizzlies liked them a bit more than I did because there was several players on the, on the board that I liked that I had ranked higher than him. But they decided, man, LaRavia was their their guy, and they went up and got him. But as far as him as a player, I think think Kyle probably offers a little bit more defensive flexibility. I have questions on whether LaRavia can guard twos. And when you talk to the 3-4 thing, that's a question to me as well, because is he quick enough to guard some of the more mobile threes? And is he strong enough to guard some of the fours? Like you said, he's kind of a tweener. But I think when you look at the Grizzlies' weakness as far as half-court offense, I think you got two guys that can really help with that. Like you said, LaRavia uh, can really shoot the basketball. Then you have a big sample size. It's it weird. Only shot 28 to 73 overall. That's 38.4%. Uh, I mean, Steve Forbes, his coach at Wake Forest, did an interview uh, a couple of days ago 
And he said that he's never coached a guy that can shoot the basketball as well as he he does, that he has to force to shoot the ball. He's like, every time out, he's telling him, man, shoot the basketball. And for some reason, he wouldn't put it up in a high volume. But I have no question on his ability to shoot the basketball. You watch him, and the form is good, high release. At, that, at 6'8", I mean, it's going to be hard to defend. Uh, so you definitely like that. Um, he also, I think, shows a little bit of playmaking ability as well. Uh, I mean, you talk about replacing Kyle Anderson, because I think if you look at this draft and the guys they brought in, uh, I think it, it's pretty safe to say that Kyle Anderson is probably not going to be on this team next year. Um, they, they basically brought in three small fours, uh, guys that played three, four, three fours. Uh, so if he, with him being a free agent, there's just not going to be enough room on a roster for all those guys in the same position. So I think it's pretty safe to say they were looking at these guys to kind of try to replicate what they got out of Kyle Anderson. And I think with LaRavia, with his offensive game, um, I think not just shooting, offensive game overall, I think is an upgrade for, from to Kyle once he gets going. Like, who knows? Like, anytime you bring in rookies, you don't know how they're going to translate immediately. But projection-wise, he's going to be a better offensive player, I think, than Kyle Anderson. Definitely when you talk about shooting basketball, but I think everything, I think he's going to be a better offensive player than Kyle Anderson. Then with Roddy, Roddy is a super unique prospect. Like, I mean, there's really – People, I see the call Charles Barkley comparison. I've even seen people say that Randolph, uh, some of the things that you see him do. I mean, he's super skilled offensively. When I'm going through tape, I'm actually probably more excited about Roddy than I am about Laravia, um, because he's okay. such a All such right. a unique. Yeah, he's such a unique prospect. I mean, the guy that size, he can really shoot the basketball. I mean, he he's a bona fide three point shooter. It's not like he's a guy that might hit a three every now and then. He can knock down a three. Uh, he can rebound. Uh, really skilled inside, man, has good post footwork. The question with him is, what position is he going to guard? I think that's the question uh, because he doesn't have great foot speed, lateral foot speed uh, to, to, to guard guys. Uh, and you don't know whether he's going to be able to guard fours. There's some mobile fours, like say he's going up against a guy like Jared. Is he going to be able to, to hell on him quickness-wise? Or is he going to be guarding fives? You, you hear this crazy stuff like he's going to be – guard two twos like I, he's not going to be a shooting guard there's no way weighs 265 pounds man that guy's not going to be a shooting guard but he he's intriguing man for a guy that size that can do some of the things he can do man i'm i'm intrigued by him um there's a lot of people that even even have a higher opinion than me uh like we talked nathan chester over from gbb he he's like over the moon like thinks he's going to be a starter for the Grizzlies in, in a year like we'll, we'll see about all that but i, I like him I, when i when i watch tape the more tape i watch it's just intriguing because you just don't see a lot of guys at his size that can do some of the things that he does. Yeah, I think body wise, PJ Tucker is a good comparison. Yeah, that's a good for one. Him. Yeah, and not necessarily offense because offensively Roddy is superior. Than, yeah, you know, like he he can do so much more than corner three, than and that's pretty much yeah. What you getting from him? But I, I think that I think that Roddy is going to be a, a physical guy. They can, you know, he can get in there, and because of his physicality, PJ Tucker guards guys that are much bigger than him, because he's an extremely physical player. And Roddy has got that, you know, from about the waist down, that like the the massive legs, like that. He's just got that big base. I think that he's going to do very well guarding big physical players, and that is something, you know, if the Grizzlies move on from Stephen Adams, you need somebody like that that's able to do that. And, and you have Xavier Tillman that can do that to a certain extent. Um, what's, his, what's his ceiling? What's he going to look like? We, we don't know yet. But, you know, going out and getting a guy like Roddy, I, I like the move. 
Uh, again, for me, the issues that I had with this draft, and we'll get to the process of how all of that went down, yeah. because I definitely want to talk about that extensively. But I wanted to focus early on because I wanted you all to understand that Isaac and I have a lot of the same issues with the way that this went down, but it's not at all about any of the prospects. Last year, the Zaire Williams thing, like the the college tape on him, we were both kind of out on Zaire Williams. We we got proven wrong. We ate crow for it. We we've owned I'm glad it. To eat it. I'm glad to you eat know, it. <laughs> I'm 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 fine with it. I'm okay. Like when you're doing this type of stuff, you're going to talk you about be wrong. you're yeah. going to make predictions. You're going to miss. It's going to happen. And so, you know, when we're wrong, we'll, we'll own it. And, and I think like prospect wise, they done a fantastic job as far as the guys that they got, but I think they really mismanaged the assets before we get into the mismanagement of the assets. I do want to talk about my favorite move that they made was trading back in at 38 to get Kennedy Chandler he yeah. was a guy, when we were breaking down prospects, he's a guy that we were talking about. And I'm like, I think he can be the backup point guard year one. And that, that is, you know, we were talking about Ty Ty Washington, who ended up going 29. That blew my mind. I can't believe Ty Ty fell that far. Can't believe Kennedy was still available at 38. A lot of weird stuff happened in this draft. But Kennedy Chandler, he's, he's six foot tall. He does have a six foot six inch wingspan. And so he plays bigger than six foot. But we, if you look back to last year, Sharif Cooper is a guy that fell way down and the Hawks got him super, super late because he was only six foot tall. And I think that's why Chandler was still on the board at 38 because he is only listed as six foot tall. But he, he is a very, very smart player. He's very good with the ball. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes whenever it comes to initiating offense. And he's able to play a little bit bigger because of that wingspan. So I think at times he's a guy that you could see out on the floor with Ja. Um, you know, it, there's just going to be there's going to be some development time. I think that if they if Tyus does walk and Kennedy as the backup point guard is the plan, then there's going to be speed bumps. There's going to be growing pains early. It's going to look rough early. You've got guys like Desmond Bain that you can play alongside of him that can take some of that ball handling off of his plate. We're going to see ball handler Zaire in the summer league, and I have a feeling that we're going to be able to see him take some of the load off of Kennedy Chandler as well whenever it comes to handle the ball when Jai's not on the floor. But this was my favorite pick that they made. I, I, I liked him as a prospect. I like what he brings to the floor. And, you know, he, he, this is like when you're a kid and you're growing up in the area, like you dream for playing for your hometown team. And here's Kennedy, Kennedy Chandler, like living the dream for, the, for, for a lot of us, man, that, that you know, we, we grow up in the area and like, you know, you, you grow up in St. Louis, your favorite baseball team is the Cardinals. You grow up wanting to play for the Cardinals or, you know, you grow up in Wisconsin, you want to be a Packer. And you grow up in Memphis, you want to play for the Grizzlies, and he's getting to do that. So that, that's huge. I'm looking forward to see what he's able to do for this team. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, man. I can't even imagine what, what that feels like to get drafted uh, by your, your hometown team. Uh, I know he said he was kind of a little upset with kind of how the process went that evening because I'm sure he probably thought he was going to be gone a lot sooner than 38. I don't think he in his camp thought he'd be around in the second round because he was – pretty much mocked consensually, consensusly, sorry, um, in, in the first round. Uh, so he slipped a little bit. And I think that's been it's Zach Lyman. 
Um, those are the kind of moves that I expect. I think value-wise, what they did in the first round was not what I usually expect. But getting Chandler at 38, I think, was the the move of the night for them. Um, a guy you knew they had interest because they right before, I think, a couple of days before the draft, they had a private workout with him. So I think that right there showed that they had significant interest. And, again, I think when you look at any any rookie coming in, there's going to be a transition period usually unless you're just the elite of the elite top guys in the draft. But I think that's even more when you're talking about point guard. Uh, but but like you said, small, 6'0", 172 pounds, but plays a lot bigger than that because of that 6'5 wingspan. Um, I mean, he just super high IQ, um, as you mentioned. Uh, re- really good finisher at the rim. Man, quick and get downhill, man. And he has these hezzy moves, uh, the in-and-out dribble where he can just blow by you and go to the rim. Uh, really has that in his game. Uh, three-level score, uh, can knock down the three. Shot 38.3%. Uh, from 349 to 128 overall. And, and I've said this before, when you see guys that have a, a pretty decent three-point sample size from Tennessee in um, a, a pretty good clip, that's a pretty good indicator because their team, most of the guys that come from Tennessee, when you look at their three-point numbers, they that, that team just does not shoot a lot of threes. So when you when you have a guy going 49 to 128 for, for 38%, that's a pretty good indicator. And watching him in high school, man, he's always – been able to shoot the basketball. Weirdly, we talked about this when we uh, covered him, uh, when we were running through prospect, 60.6% for the free throw line. And to me, that's head-scratching because he's a good shooter. Uh, he can shoot the three deep. I mean, you, you watch his film, man, he shot some deep threes at Tennessee. Um, also a good mid-range shooter, so it's weird to see his free throw number at 60.6. I think it just has to just be concentration because right? he's too good of a shooter to be shooting 60% from the free throw line. Uh, but but again, that's super, super smart. Uh, just really effective in throwing a lob pass. Plays really well in the pick and roll as a passer or finisher. Uh, just does a lot of lot of good things for you, man. Even 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 a pretty good defender uh, at, at that size. Uh, really physical on that end of the floor. Uh, I think he's a shows a, some really good point of attack uh, potential, which is really important in today's NBA. Average two point two steals per game. And again, man, it's six six zero. Uh, I know he's small, but again, with that six-five wingspan, allows him to play bigger than that. And he was a good defender at the college level. Gets in passing lane, contest shots well. He's a real pest on it in the floor. Like I said, physical, doesn't shy away from contact. Being a small guy, that that's kind of unique. So I I think he he'll be a good defender. Um, but again, man, I think it'll be it's just a period. And if he ends up being the, the backup point guard, Tyus Watson, they don't bring anybody else in. Like you said, there will be some bumps in the road. I don't think it's going to be a smooth transition, but I think he's a guy that can eventually mature into that role. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think even if Tyus walks, I think they're going to bring in a veteran guy, but I think to have a kid, it's awesome to see a kid, man, to, to get drafted by his hometown team. And again, man, he's a, a kid going back to high school, really, really good character, high character guy, high IQ, and just a winner, man, the type of guy you want to have on your team, man. And for me, this was the move that I liked the most. I mean, to get him at 38, I think, is the absolute steal. And as Zach Lyman said, man, they couldn't believe he was still on the board. I couldn't either. And at that point, man, they had to go and get him. Yeah, yeah, loved it. Loved it. The last pick that they made uh, at pick 47 didn't move from this spot. Uh, Vince Williams, six-foot-six-inch wing out of ECU. And this is another one of those guys that kind of falls into – what the, the the type of player that the Grizzlies have targeted and, and climbing senior here, he, he is a 22 year old senior and he, he does a lot of the things 
they they go out, they get weaves, they get guy that had guys that have the you know six foot six and the wingspan. And I thought I wrote his wingspan down. I didn't write it down. That's not relevant, but I, I like he he. I think he's well, I was six eleven. That, yeah, that I knew it was a plus wingspan, but uh, for whatever reason, I, I don't. I think I wrote it somewhere else on something else. But anyway, like I he he is a guy. You don't expect him to play year one. I think that you're, you're going to see him down in South Haven getting some development time. But with that six foot six with the plus wingspan, his ability to shoot the wall, and he's not, uh, you know, you're not going to like pigeonhole him in as he's just a shooter. His handle is very good as well. He can move, you know, he can play with or without the ball. I think he's going to be an elite point of attack defender. Um, Depending on what happens with this team, you know, we, we've talked about all offseason. Is Dylan Brooks staying? Is he going? What's happening? And, and I've got some thoughts on that, and I want to ask Isaac about that later on. But I, I like this Vince Williams pick. This is a guy that we didn't we didn't talk about in our draft coverage. And, and to be honest with you, if we even if we would have had the full window of time because of where he was projected at, um. I saw one area he was like uh, 92 in the top 100. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't he, was, any box. he he was way way down the board. I I think I, everywhere I I found him was somewhere that had a top 100, and he was late 80s, early 90s. And you know I think a lot of that is the fact that on draft night he was a 22 year old kid. He instantly becomes one of my favorite Grizzlies because we share a birthday, August 30th. <laughs> let's go. I'm rooting for Vince Williams Jr. So. Uh, I, I'm man with the signing of of Lofton down there. I'm 100 making a trip to South Haven this year. Oh man, I, I can't wait! Game. I was thinking about that today. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm definitely gonna get get down there to more games, man. I try to get down there a couple of years, man. I probably try to get down there for more this year as I start back going to games, man. I've been kind of sitting out because of COVID, man. But I'm I'm gonna be back in the back in the saddle this year, man. So I'm definitely gonna get down to South Haven for more games, but I love the pick. I mean, like you said, he's a guy that wasn't showing up on a lot of mocks, similar to Xavier Tillman. Xavier Tillman was a guy when we ran through those prospects, he, a lot of mocks, he wasn't even on them. And, and the Grizzlies traded up and went and got him, and, and you kind of scratch your head, and you got to go look through film, and you're like, now I get why they like this kid. Um, and, and I see the same thing with Vince Williams. He kind of fits that format, 22 years old, as you said, older guy. Uh, and, and I think that hurts you as well. Anytime you're 21, 22 years old, unless you're just a super, super elite prospect, you're probably going to go second round undrafted right? because they just – NBA just doesn't like to draft those kind of guys. I mean, they like the 18, 19-year-olds that have untapped potential because uh, they kind of feel like guys like Vince Williams, you've kind of seen everything they got. You feel like once you get 22, year old, 22 years old, there's not much growth in that. But, I, but with the Grizzlies, if there's anything left to get out of them, they will get it out of them. They get every – ounce of juice out of their orange they can. I, one thing that I can say about this organization is top-notch. We're pretty in a lot of areas, but definitely when it comes to player development. Uh, this coaching staff has been awesome in, in, in terms of player development, so I, I trust them with with these prospects. And, and you watch them, man, just a, a lot of stuff to like. Man, he plays super hard. I think that's one thing that you know about him. He fits that mantra. He's one of those guys that, like you say, he's a hooper. I mean, he goes out there, draws, draws a lot of charges, just plays hard, make it shoot the basketball. One thing you look at all these prospects outside of Kenneth Lofton, one thing they can all do is shoot the basketball. I think that mm -hmm. 
was something that they keyed in on. Like all these guys, like 38% plus uh, from three, uh, all four of these guys uh, that they drafted. I mean, he's really efficient, score shot 50.7% overall for his uh, college career. Uh, so a 50% shooter, man, 38.7% from three on, on high volume, uh, really high volume uh, his senior year. Uh, also shoots well from the free throw line. I know it's at 81.4%, and he gets his scores through contact, gets to the line a lot, man. So when you have a guy that gets to the line a lot, you want him to be get there and, and, and cash in. He definitely does that. Uh, slashes to the basket and finishes really well. Uh, he's one of those guys that will play really well in the up-tempo system. Uh, has really good court vision. He can some playmaking. Has really good court vision, passing instincts. They average three assists a game. I mean, you look at his numbers across the board, man, 14 points, six rebounds, three assists, two steals. A block. I mean, he's a guy, one of those type of guys that can can do it all. Uh, but he's a guy that was flying under the radar, and hopefully he's another gem that this this front office has found. Because again, he wasn't on box, and you kind of look at his film and look at some of these numbers. You kind of scratch your head, like why was this guy on box? Because you compare him to some other guys that we watch, and I'm thinking, I, th- I think he's at least as good as that guy or better. So it's weird how some of these prospects get missed, especially when again with him being 22 years old. Playing at VCU, I think that's kind of one of the reasons why I dropped, man. Played with Bones Highland last year, and we saw the type of players that come out of VCU. Bones Highland is that type of guy, high energy, plays really hard, and I think Vince Williams is that same type of kid. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, man. That's a lot of great things about his game. Again, don't expect him to see rotation minutes this first year. I think it's going to be a South Haven season for him, and then, you know, see see where the chips fall. But – um you know, I had, I had Steven on last night. We were talking about cap space and what the Grizzlies, you know, could possibly do, guys that, that fit in trade exception. Uh, th- th- there was a lot. Um, there's a lot about the front office and salaries that I, I just don't dig into as much. Like, I know that that stuff plays a factor in the moves that they can make, so I've been learning more about it. But Steven knows it top to bottom, and, and he was able to, you know, kind of give me a few different players that could possibly fit in exceptions are people that they could go out and get if Tyus and Kyle both leave. And that that's kind of the way we approach it is if Kyle Anderson and Tyus Jones both walk, what are the options out there? And, and he gave me – so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that show, I definitely recommend that you go and do it. Steven, uh, he, he dropped quite a few names in there. But let's get into – the execution on draft night. That's something that we waited. We wanted to talk about the prospects. We wanted to give you guys our ideas and what we liked about these guys, because when, when we voice and Isaac gets a lot more flack than I do on Twitter, because he's, <laughs> he's got a bigger following. Um, but, you know, we, we both made it known on Twitter that we were not necessarily happy with the way that this front office navigated this the, this draft and I'm going to start with this Isaac I Candace brought this up in, in the group chat that we have going on and on Chris Vernon's show they were talking about how Kleiman came through the Chris Wallace school he was here and he watched Chris Wallace miss out on guys and then make some panic picks and so that's why he feels like you know he mentioned that saying he felt like that's why you're going to see Kleiman go up to get his guy if you're studying your draft picks and, that, and you know that this is a guy that you want, this is a guy that you're targeting, if you only have one guy on your draft board, you are not doing your job. That, that is not 
And so like that Chris Wallace front office, when they were missing that stuff, they weren't doing the things that they should have been doing. If you, if you're sitting here and you're looking and you like this guy and you're really high on this guy, there's 0% chance that there's not another team out there that doesn't see the same thing in him that you're seeing. And so I do like that climate is not scared to move up to get his guy. But those moves become questionable when you go out and you get a guy like LaRavia who was projected late first round and you move up to 19 to get him. You go up and you give up DeAnthony Melton to get back in the draft at 23 after you give up 22 and 29 to move up to get LaRavia. You give up Melton to get picked 23 and you take on some dead contract. Yeah. You know, cause Danny Green's got a torn ACL. If he's able to play this season, it will be late enough that he's not going to have any type of chemistry with the team that he's playing with. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, you're taking on dead salary there. For Roddy, who by every mock that I saw, he was a sec- a mid-second round player. Again, when we're discussing this, we're not unhappy with the guys that they drafted, but why in the world are you moving up to 19 to get Jake LaRavia? And Isaac ha- has a-, a theory about it. And it's dude, I can't tell you when you, when I saw that message from you today, first off, I, I had a crap day and I know you guys don't care about that, but I- I'm going to tell you anyway, just because. So I- I'm helping out. Uh, my job, I, I go around, I see people, we have an office a hundred miles south of where I live and they needed help. They wanted me to go down and stay in a hotel and help them. I'm like, I'm not doing that. It's only a hundred miles away. I'll just drive. Cause I'd rather be at home than stay in a hotel. I want to be with my family. I drive 137 miles to my first patient that I have to see this morning only to find out the office didn't call and tell me that this patient had switched services so oh, wow. 140 miles and it's like 25 miles south of the office down there. So I get down there, the office calls me as I'm walking out of this house and they're like, Hey, have you been here yet? And I'm like, yeah, I'm standing <laughs> in their driveway. They just told me and then I have to run back. So my day got off to a rough start. I, I should have been started. Like my first patient, it should have been eight 30 in the morning. By the time I done all the running and all of that crap, it ended up being 10 30 before my day really got started. So rough day. And, and Isaac sends me this message. He's like, I'm looking at this draft board and I'm wondering if the Grizzlies were not actually trading up to go and get Dalen Terry out of Arizona. And, and I've had that same thought. You, you look at who was available and the Grizzlies made this trade. Dalen Terry was still on the board. He ends up going 18 to Chicago. And we will never, ever, ever hear the front office. There is a 0.0.0% chance that you will ever hear the front office say that we were moving up to get Dalen Terry. There's no doubt in my mind that they like Jake LaRavia. They wouldn't have taken him there if they did. But Dalen Terry is tailor-made for this squad and and the the confidence, the the, the trash talk, everything about him is tailor-made for this Grizzly squad. And so I think that there may be some validity to that. Again, we don't have reports. The front office is never going to say anything like that. But, you know, you have to wonder. And, yeah, you can like the fit with LaRavia and still have questions about stuff like this. You don't have to blindly follow Zach Kleiman just because he has been successful. 
And, you know, I had a conversation with, with Sane the other day about it. And I'm like, you know, he said he never misses. And I'm like, dude, that's awful bold. Nobody bats a thousand. He's going, he's going to miss. It's going to happen. And, you know, Sane just kind of ended it with, you know, call me when it does. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with these guys. But as it kind of elaborate on that a little bit, what in your mind, what's the what's the what's the process like? Why why are they making these moves? Obviously, you're going up to get your guy, but could they not have stood stood at twenty two and twenty nine and just taken the 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 players? Because you're you're looking at guys that can play the three or four that can shoot the ball and. Patrick Baldwin Jr. was still on the board. Um, you know, Marshawn Beauchamp is a guy that would be more of a 2-3, not a 3-4. But, you know, he – like, I get that his three-point percentage was not great with the G League Ignite, but he was able to – you know, he, he scored 15 points yeah. a game against grown men. So he's a guy with six seven, six foot eleven wingspan that kind of fits the mold of what you're going out to target. You know, he would be like the Vince Williams uh, of, you know, but an upgraded version, you know, there were a lot of names that were on this board. Whenever we're talking about prospects that fell after that 22 mark. And if you go out, like, let's say you take a Patrick Baldwin jr. At 22, then, you know, you can still take at 29 taking Kennedy Chandler at 29 is not a bad move. You know, not at all. I just I, I don't get it. In a small market, you have to take care of your assets and giving up twenty-two and twenty-nine just to move up three spots to nineteen to draft Drake Laravia. I I don't get that at, at all, man. Yeah, I mean it, it, it was weird to me. Um uh, and you talk about the kind of the theory on the Dalen Theory thing, and I and I put that out on Twitter and I kind of got some pushback and people said, Oh, well, they, they only make these moves when they once they find out whether their guy's going to be there. And we weren't privy to these conversations. We don't know what the thinking was, what was going on. He went one pick before, and maybe they didn't think Chicago was going to take the interior for whatever reason. Sometimes you might have the intel. They might think, oh, if we get here at 19, Chicago's by another. We don't know if he's taking them. We might be able to get him at 19. And I think – I really do believe that's it. They'll never admit that, and they shouldn't. They're not going to say that out loud when once you take Jake LaRavia. And there's no doubt. I think they like – Laravia, but when you just kind of look at that board, it just seems weird to to give up two picks to move up three spots to take Jake Laravia with, with who's on the board. Um, and like I said, I had a top ten of guys at twenty two and twenty nine that I really liked. Uh, and Jake Laravia was on that list; he was number ten. But there were seven guys that I had ranked ahead of him that were still on the board. Um, of some guys that you wouldn't expect, Malachi Branham was a guy that I don't even necessarily love, but I, I'd take him at 22 before I traded up to 19 to take Jake LaRavia. Um, I mean, that's just, that's me. But you look, you look at the guys on the board. Like I said, some of these guys are two threes and not three fours, but uh, just some of the guys I had, Nikola Jovich, uh, who else did I have on? Jaden Hardy, Wendell Moore, uh, Kristen Braun, Ty Ty Washington, Marshawn Bochamp that you announced. Max Christie is another guy who went later. I had all those guys break the head of Laravia on my board and they were all still on the board. And I'm thinking, okay, just in a vacuum before you even talk about the players, 22 and 29 for 19 is a crap deal. Like that's not, that is awful value for 22 and 29. Like you, you get, you, you up for 22 and 29, you should move up more than three spots. 
Like, you ought to be able to at least get up to, like, 15, 16. Like, for 19, that's a lot to give up. Uh, so that must mean, if that's the case, they must have really, really loved Arabia. Because, again, there was value on the board. Like, guys that flipped, it wasn't like they were in a position where there was, like, crap players on the board. There were a lot of good players that would have fit in really well up on the board. So it's just, to me, just head-scratching that they went up, gave up two picks to move up three spots to take LaRavia. Like, was LaRavia, like, I like him, and we talked about him. Again, he was in my top ten, but was he really worth so much to you versus some of the other guys that you could have just taken at 22 for you to make that move? I, I don't know, because, but like I said, in a vacuum, 22 and 20, 29 for 19 is a bad deal. So if you're going to make that deal, that has to be something special. Like, this is the dude I don't want anybody else this is a dude of the draft. This is number one on our board. And, and you draw a line under him, and everybody else is like five spots lower than him. Like you draw a line under him. And it's just hard for me to watch LaRavia and think he's that guy. Like he could have been. Like I could be wrong. Maybe they were just over the moon for LaRavia, and he was always that guy all the time. That's what kind of the way they sold it. And maybe they're telling the truth. But I have a hard time believing that. And again, it's not the crap on LaRavia or anything. I think he fits really well. I think he could end up being a good player, but just watching that situation, that's just weird to me, and I think kind of hard for me to believe, and I think the situation with Roddy, what, what the, the two deals coincide with each other. Moving 22 and 29 for 19 then force you to have to move Melton, as well as take on dead money with Danny Green's deal, to get back in for 23 to get David Roddy. So when you put those two deals together, it's just, there was a, that's a lot of movement within when you already had two picks at 22 and 29. You had to do all of that to get to 19 to 23 to get those two specific guys when, in my opinion, again, it's their board. They made their decisions. But in my opinion, uh, those, weren't, those weren't the two best players available on the board, even if they had stayed at 22 and 29. That's just my opinion. Obviously, they had a different opinion. But, again, man, those are the guys that they went up and get. They like, they like those guys. I like them. I like their fit. I just – don't think value-wise what they did there was the greatest. You're going to get Kenley Chandler at 38 was awesome. Uh, like I don't have any problem with that. I think value-wise, that's the best thing they did all, all night. But they're usually – this front office, we're used to this front office doing really, really smart things, making smart deals, kind of cheating cheating teams and trades and deals. That's not what happened there in the first round. And, and, and that's why it was kind of surprising to me. Yeah, I mean – and. One of the comments that I got, somebody said, so you're mad that your favorite team did what they thought was best instead of doing what you wanted them <laughs> yeah, to do. Yeah, I got a lot of that too, yeah. And, and it's like, mm, that's not what I'm saying, man. That That's not – it is – there's never a, a mock that gets everything 100% right. But there's a lot of guys, when, when yeah. you look at – People that are evaluating talent (laughs) and people that are ranking these guys whenever it comes to big boards, their boards are not necessarily going to match up with NBA teams because these guys that are doing it, they're ranking them in a vacuum, right? Like if you're ranking one through 30, you're ranking the 30 best players. And once you get past a certain level, teams are going to probably take players that are pretty similar in talent level, but, you know, like may not be on a board, like, you know, say from 15 to 30 in this draft, 
you may rate these guys all very, very similar, but you got to put them in an order. And, and LaRavia in a lot of places, man, was just way further down than this. Yeah. And, you know, it, it just, again, man, it's not a knock on him, but for somebody that has been so good at navigating trades and, you know, like getting to areas where you want to get with, with picks and going after the guys that, that they want this trade to move up the 22 and 29 to move up to 19 did not feel like a Zach Kleinman move. No, and then to give up Anthony Melton to go and get David Roddy did not feel like a Zach Kleinman move. And so if your side of the argument is, well, DeAnthony Melton was not a part of this future, fine. That's that's clear that that was not the case. Yeah, that doesn't and, mean you just give him away, though. That's, yeah, that's the thing. he was not on a crap contract. <laughs> yeah, that's like you just – Contract to move. And I can tell you right now, there are plenty of teams that see value in DeAnthony Melton and what he does – because DeAnthony Melton is a scrappy defender. He does dirty work. Like, he gets out there. He, he's on the floor after the ball. He plays passing lanes extremely well. He, we, You're a Grizzlies fan. You watch DeAnthony Melton. You know what he brings to the table. And, yes, as a Grizzlies fan, you get frustrated. I get frustrated watching him when he goes invisible on the offensive end and becomes almost unplayable. But what he brings energy-wise and what he does for the hustle plays, what he does defensively, you can almost play him all the time just because of that. We were never able to see DeAnthony Melton be consistent, but his role in Memphis was never consistent. So there are two sides of that argument. I I just feel like that that Kleiman – don't think that he drafted bad players. Don't dislike the guys that, that he drafted. But the two picks to move up to 19 and then giving up DeAnthony Melton and, re, you know, getting dead dead money in return just feels like a very bad mismanagement of assets in a small market team. We Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. Even no, if, go ahead. I, I'll let you get back. I, I just want to say this. Even if LaRavia – and Roddy turn out to be good NBA players. I will still always say yep. that this was a mismanagement of assets. I will say this forever. And because the, the way that it went down, it was not about this entire conversation is not about who he got. Like if we, if we do this redraft in five years, is Jake LaRavia going to be one of the five best players? I have no idea. My guess up front would be no, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Is David Roddy going to be a, a you know one of the five best or one of the ten best players? Don't know, but it's not out of the realm of possibilities. So th- there's a chance that this can look like a, a smoking deal in five to ten years. But in the moment, the way that you made those moves, how many times in the history of the league have you seen a team give up two first-round picks and only move up three spots? I'd be willing to bet you that it's very, very few times that you've seen it happen, so it, it just it feels bad, man. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly the, the way I feel about it, uh, and I hate it because what's going to happen is if LaRavia and Roddy end up being good, people are going to be in my mentions like I was saying they, were, they weren't going to be good, and, and that's what I hate about Twitter because people don't listen to what you're saying and kind of 
understand what you're trying to say. It's not about Roddy or, or LaRavia at all. Like, I, I like their fit on their team, and they might end up being really good. But as David said, still, even if they do, when I look back at this, I'm going to say I still don't like the process. Uh, and, and and people will say, oh, well, Chris has had their board and, and forget everybody else and what everybody else was thinking. But still, like, it's not like this was a couple mocks, a couple box here and there, and some of them had LaRavia going 15 and Roddy going 20. There were none, like, most mocks had LaRavia going second, early second round, and most mocks had Roddy, pretty much all mocks had Roddy going in the second round, if not mid-second round. And it's just, it's just bad value, man. Like, again, I just, I, like I said, I don't want it to sound like I'm crapping on these guys that I'm not at all. Again, man, you can, I put out the receipt, man. LaRavia was in my top 10 of guys I liked at 22 and 29. I just feel like with who was left on the board, moving making a deal for 22 and 29 for 19, which is a deal that you're not going to see anybody make. Like I, I venture to say that's probably never happened. Like I, I don't, that's a bad deal just in a vacuum before you even talk about who you take, who you're taking the with. And for you to make that move to draft a guy that nobody, like nobody had going top 19, that just, it just doesn't seem like great value to me. And again, that's their guys. And, and, and maybe they're telling the 100% truth. They want to go up. LaRavia was their guy all the time, and they went up and got him. They felt like somebody at, at 19, 20, and 21 was going to take him, and they had to take him there to get him, and maybe that's what the deal is, man. But I just it, – it's just a weird deal, and those are just not the type of moves that you expect climbing to make. And I, I think if you – everybody seems to be on board with this 100%, and, and David made a point earlier that that climbing in this front office has done tremendous work. There's, there's no question about that, man. They've done a fantastic job of drafting, keying in on the right guys. But just because someone has been successful doesn't mean that you can't have any questions about anything ever that they ever do. Like, I mean, that, that's, that's not how this works, man. You can question things and not be dogging somebody. Like, I, like I think Zach Climbing is great, but I do have questions on the process that they use to make these moves. And, and I guarantee you, if before the draft, I had put a poll out that said and showed the, showed the guys that were left on the board, like the guys and some of the guys that I named that were left on the board, put, put all those names out and said, okay, the Grizz is going to be sitting here. All these guys are going to be on the board, including the Raven and Rock uh, and Roddy. And, it's, and they're going to trade up. They're going to trade on 20, 22 and 29 to get 19 and then trade Melton and take on Danny green for, for 23. And they're going to take LaRavia and Roddy. I guarantee you, Everybody that, I, that, that took that poll would say they would be upset with that outcome. I guarantee you. It, but now it just seems like because they did that, everybody is okay with it. Like, I had been people telling me a week before then they wouldn't trade Melton for anything. He's untouchable. I'm not trading him. If I trade Melton, I got to get two first-round picks and all kind of crazy stuff. And now some of those same people are like, oh, okay, well, they, they did this, so it's fantastic. And, and again, man, it, it's fine to like these prospects. I don't have any problem with them. I just think you don't have to blindly okay everything someone does because they've had success in the past. That's the outline point. And again, I just feel like it's weird that how people felt about these draft picks. Like even when you talk about moving these picks, moving them up uh, like 22 and melting for the 13 pick, people like, hell, hell no, I'm not doing that. And some of these same people now are okay with these deals. And these are worse than those. It's just weird to me, man, that some of the, 
stuff that you see, man. But it, anyways, man, again, those are the guys we got, man. I'm going to support them same way I did Zaire Williams. Uh, I'm going to support these guys and hope they're the next Michael Jordan. Like, I mean, that's what it is, man. They're Memphis Grizzlies, and we're going to support them, cover them, and, and I hope they end up being great again. I just think the process was bad in how they managed those assets there. Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. I Zach Kleiman has given us plenty of reason as people that cover the Grizzlies, plenty of reason as Grizzly fans to be optimistic. I, I've never said anything different than that. And, you know, even if these guys don't work out, the moves that he's made in the past to get Brandon Clark, to get Xavier Tillman, you know, moving up to get these guys, it's it's worked out for him. So even if he misses a couple of times, he's still done a hell of a job. And, and I'm not trying to take that away from him. But I, I'm not the type of sports fan, like, I, I guess – Maybe my level of investment in the team and, and by invested, I don't mean like I don't have money and I don't, I'm not a partial owner or no crazy crap like that. But like, I want to see my team make the best moves possible. And, you know, I'm not saying that what I have in mind is the best move possible, but what they done, I don't feel like it was the best move possible. And that is, you know, I, I don't know what would have to happen in order for me to change my stance on that because the, the, the just amount of assets I, I get the, you know, the stuff with the Anthony Melton and why they moved on from him, understand all of that, but it's, it's weird and you can't operate a small market team and be reckless, I guess with, with assets is, is kind of the best way that I, that I will say it. And, and Kleiman has not done that in the past. And some people will say, well, he wasn't really reckless with these. But, man, that the, the biggest, the craziest thing to me, the, the, the 22 and 29 to move up to 19. I mean, without, without the Melton trade, without the Melton trade, that, that's just wild to me. That I, I'm going to search and I'm going to dig. I, I tried some yeah, generic. I can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> I can't remember um, a deal like that. So I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm sure that there's a way that I can find out if this has ever happened before, like giving up two first round picks and where that ends up getting you. I want to find out where that is because I, I want to talk to you. I, I want you guys to know about it. But now that, that, that I'm digging into this more, I want to know for myself. So I'm going to find out about that. But that's even outside of the Melton deal. And I just feel like you could have seen something better than uh, the 23rd pick for De'Anthony Melton. So it wasn't, again, it wasn't about LaRavia. It wasn't about Roddy so much as I don't feel like they got good value in, for, in return for the assets that they gave up. Yeah, and I want to touch on the Melton thing. I'm a guy that was fully on the train of Melton being expendable and felt like he was a guy that they probably should move on from this offseason. But he had value to the team. Uh, he's on a good contract at $8 million a year. And I think a lot of people, if you look around the league, look around different fans of other teams, different front offices and fantasy guys, they absolutely love De'Anthony Melton. Like, love him more than a lot of people here in Memphis do. They really value him. And still, even being a guy who felt like he was expendable and needed to be moved, that's not how I wanted to move him. Like, I felt like he had more value than that. And I feel like them making – 
a bad value move with trading 22 and, and 29 for 19, making that move force you to have to make that move. Like those two moves coincided with each other, and that makes it – it's kind of like they double down on bad moves. And again, and, 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 I, and I, I always want to preface this by saying this has nothing to do with, with LaRavia and Roddy, but as much as it has to do with the process. Uh, because I just – whether you like the Anthony Melton or not, and we know he was inconsistent. He had some really, really good moments at times. He was a rotation piece for your team. Like, it, it, I don't care what you felt about him. He was a main rotation piece on this team. And I feel like you – I'm sure, like, Philadelphia couldn't believe it when they picked up the phone and heard that deal. And those are not the type of deals that I expect Zach Kleiman to make. Like, I, I expect him to be fleecing teams. That's what we kind of gotten used to. And, and as I said earlier, that's not what happened in either one of those deals. Like, if, if, if you just take those deals in a vacuum and say 22, 29 for 19, that's bad. Uh, trade Melton uh, and taking on a bad salary for a 23rd pick when you already could have had 22 and 29 pick, that's almost just as bad. Like, both of those deals are just bad value. And people are upset about that. And I don't understand why that's such a wild opinion. I mean, if you just take those outside of the players that they got and just look at those deals, put those deals on the table. Those are not good deals. They're just not. Like, and, and it's, I mean, again, man, they might have gotten the guys that they want to get, but you have to, asset management matters. Um, and, and I think you, you were talking about the situation with Candace and kind of her thoughts about climbing and coming up on the Chris Ballas. That's an interesting conversation because they're, they're two different mentalities. And I mean, I, I think looking at those two situations, which one do you kind of feel is right? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I, I would rather, you go up and get your guys like climbing. But again, man, I think when you go up and get your guys, there's still some criteria of what's good value and, and what they yeah. did with those deals. I, I just don't think that was it. Yeah. And, and so I, I've got to clarify something here. I, I saw this question get asked. I didn't reply to it on Twitter, but there is not two players that they could have gotten at 19 and 23 Let's say that Daylon Terry is on the board at 19. They make that move. They get him at 19. I love Daylon Terry. If you listen to our episode about covering him, he was a guy that was, you know, uh, early second round, early to mid second round at the point that we were recording our episode. And I, and I told Isaac, I said, this is the kind of kid that you're going to see run up the board because he has, he's six, seven, he's got a plus wingspan. He's athletic. He doesn't shoot the ball that great, but he's a great passer, great playmaker, good defender. You're going to see him run up the board. Love Daylon Terry. He was a guy that was on my board that I would love to see the Grizzlies get him. Even if they had gotten the top two guys that I had that I wanted to see them get in my, like, if they would have got Daylon Terry and Patrick Baldwin Jr., if you've listened to the show at all, you know how much I've gassed up Patrick Baldwin Jr., if they make those trades and they end with Dalen Terry and Patrick Baldwin Jr., I still feel the same way. I feel like they mismanage the assets. So it's it's not it's never for me. And, and I think that Isaac has made it clear it's the same for him. It's not about the players that they got. It's that what they gave up to get these players was not good value. And value is very subjective, right? Like everybody looks at value differently. And so you don't have to agree with us. That's fine. And we could be, you know, and a few years down the road, we could be completely wrong about this. But in the moment, when you're looking at what they gave up to move where they got to, it was a lot. 
and only time is going to tell. But I, I think right now this has got to be the the spot where Kleiman is at the biggest risk of having his first miss because of the way that he handled this. Yeah, I mean it. It, it really Jake Laravia really needs to work out uh, because I mean if you make that move twenty two twenty nine and go to go up three spots to get him, I mean that's a lot of confidence in a guy to to make that move because again I don't know if that's ever happens like like a a team has two picks in the first round in in those spots that close and that small of a window to move those two picks to go up to three spots like I couldn't believe it when they first announced it I was like okay maybe they gave up 22 in a a future pick or maybe they gave up 22 or 47 but when when they said they gave up 22 and 29 I was like super disappointed because I was like man are you serious they gave up both picks to move up three spots like I couldn't couldn't really believe that I was like man that is rough and then heard the other move and I got excited and I heard what that was I was like man that even that's even makes it even worse <laughs> so it, 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 it was tough man to kind of it, that's a lot of movement within like 10 or so picks like that's, that's a lot of movement to go up and to get two specific guys especially again when I felt like there was super a lot of value left on the board I mean there were a lot of guys left on the board like I said even Malachi Branham was even on the board that you could have gotten again I'm not a huge Malachi Branham, Branham fan, but if you get him at, at 19, like I'm I'm happier with that than I am with taking Jake LaRavia at 19. That's just me. And again, don't nobody has to agree with my board. Obviously, the Grizzlies don't. And when, when I've talked about this on Twitter, that's every, what everybody was saying. But it, it's again, man, I, and I go back to some of these people that, that are saying this are, are are people that consider themselves to be like amateur draft guys as well. And if you look at their board, they didn't have those guys there either. And that's why it's so so weird to me that they don't can't understand at all like where I'm coming from with this thought. Like they didn't have Laravia at 19 or Roddy at 23 either. Like I, I don't and I don't know if anybody did. Like other, I mean the Grizzlies might have, but I don't think that that's not an opinion that what 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 we're saying is not wild. Like it just it was pretty much consensus that these guys were going lower than that. And again, the Grizzlies have their board and they're able to do whatever they want. But it just seems like there were a lot of guys that kind of fit needs on this team that they could have just set at 22 and 29 still drafted. You still would have had Melton on your roster, whether you went to the season with him or use him in another deal, you still had him there as that trade piece if you wanted to. And now you don't. And you also have a Danny Green situation you have to deal with. Um, and, and there's been some conjecture on that. Um, at first it was uh, announced that the deal was fully guaranteed. Then it went to, if he was on the roster, it was 6.9 guaranteed. And if he was on a roster after July 1st, it would be the full 10 million. Now it's, January 10th, uh, it will be guaranteed for the full 10 million. It'll be 6.9 if he's way before it is. So it's been a lot of back and forth on that, but I guess that's final. Bro, bro. Bobby Marks came out with that today and said that there was going to be Ju- July, t- I mean, uh, January 10th. So, so I'd be interested to see how they handle that. I personally think they resolve it before the season starts because I don't think they have a full roster. I don't think they can just carry a guy on a roster kind of the way they did Iggy for a possible trade piece. I think they're going to be, they're either going to move him here in a deal before the season starts, or either they're going to waive him and just pay him to 6.9, eat to 6.9. I think that's what it's going to be. I doubt that he goes into the season because he's not, I, there's no way that they're viewing him as a, a part of this team. I mean, he, even if he comes back this year, it's going to be February or March. And that's just, like you said, man, not a time to build chemistry for the team, not even worth hanging on to him for that long. Yeah. I, I, I'm trying to find – I want to find your top ten list because I had a question, 
in mind. No, I, got, I got it right here. Okay, fantastic. Read off your top five players. Uh, top five, Jalen Williams has obviously went way higher. He ended up going into to the lottery to the Oklahoma City Thunder, who had a fantastic draft, by the way. Like I said, I'm not a big fan of Chet, but I know a lot of people are. Uh, but you get Chet, you get uh, uh, Ushbani Jing, you get Jalen Williams. They get both Jalen Williams, actually. Mm-hmm. And that's funny because I tweeted out <laughs> yeah, a couple yeah, months so ago, nice. the same team, drafted by the same team. And they kind of had fun with it at a press conference. I saw some quotes from that. Interesting that they got both of those guys. But at Jalen Williams, number one, Dalen Terry, number two, uh, Nikola Jovic, number three, uh, Jaden Hardy, number four, and Wendell Moore, number five. Those are my top five. Okay. So, scenario for you. The Grizzlies make these same trades. They end up with Dalen Terry and Nikola Jovic. Any I was still – no, I was going to say, I still say the same thing. Yeah. I think that with Jalen Williams, I might, that might change because he was a guy that was projected a little higher than the rest of these guys. But all, when, when you, once you get past him, all these other guys that we're naming were all kind of in the same boat, like all around the same picks. And kind of LaRavia was kind of, kind of in that mix, but he was in the bottom tier of, of, of these guys. Like I'm pretty much consistently, consensusly in the bottom 10 of these guys. And, that that's I mean I don't that's the thing for me like I said I just feel like they could have drafted at twenty two and twenty nine and got the same level of talent that they got like I really do feel like that. Yeah, I, the, the highest that I saw Arabia in any type of mock and, and th- these are industry guys that are getting paid good money to do this. The highest that I saw Arabia was into the first round. I, I want to say basketball news was was a place that I saw him the highest. And it was around 27, 28. And that's, again, I, I'm not saying that the level of talent is that much difference, but like the, the level of talent between, you know, Jake LaRavia at 19, Malachi Branham, Christian Brown, uh, Walker Kessler, Marjan Bochamp, Blake Wesley, Wendell Moore, Nikola Jovich, Patrick Baldwin, Ty Ty, and Peyton Watson. Like those guys are all in the same vein, right? Like the, I think that the talent level is very similar between them. But that's what makes it so like yeah, I that's like what makes you got an edge spread. <laughs> you didn't move up to 19 to get a guy that was a yeah. tier above everybody that went 11 spots behind him. And so I, I did have another question for you, but we'll run a little bit long here. So I'm gonna save that for the next episode. Man, I, I had a blast. I, I'm glad to have you back. Glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, man. Good stuff. And uh, looking forward to the summer league stuff. Get to see some on ball, more on ball Zaire Williams. Uh, man, I, I would love to see the Grizzlies. I don't think that uh, – I think Zaire probably plays quite a bit, but, you know, I know X has mentioned that he's going to play in summer league again. I, I don't think we end up seeing those guys run it too long in summer league. I think we're going to get to see a lot of run from these young guys. So looking forward to that. Some, you know, Kenneth Lofton, David Roddy, Jake LaRavia out there, get Kennedy Chandler some run see what he can do with this offense. Um, interested to see the uh, let that mother fly from LaRavia. You know, that's kind of Taylor Jenkins. That's been a, a motto of this team. And so, you know, his coach saying that he had to kind of yell at him to get him to shoot it. I'm looking forward to LaRavia finding that comfort level where he can just let it go. Um, I, again, lo- lo- I love the guys that they drafted. Don't love how they executed it, uh, but but we'll go ahead and wrap it up, man. Do you have anything else for, before we get out of here? 
No, man, good stuff tonight, man. Just happy happy to be back. And everything that you mentioned, I echo that. Excited about Summer League, man. A week from, from tonight, uh, the Grizzlies will be taking on uh, the Philadelphia 76ers out in Utah. Uh, so that'll be interesting. I think uh, I mean, the Grizzlies, let me look at the schedule again. Uh, they take on Oklahoma City um, in that second game uh, a week from tomorrow night. And that's going to be a good one. I mean, you look at that Oklahoma City team, just kind of what I just talked about. You got Chet Holmgren. Uh, Usman Jean, uh, Jalen with Jalen and Jalen Williams. Uh, so they're gonna be that team's gonna be loaded, and, and of course, yeah. they got a lot of young guys on their roster already on the NBA roster that are probably gonna be on that team as well. Uh, so they, they're probably gonna be the, the favorites, probably, I would think, uh, to, to kind of do some damage out there. They're gonna be a loaded team, so that'll be interesting to see these guys against them. Uh, but it really does get, get ramped up. The, the Las Vegas Summer League is really the one I think teams kind of kind of hold some things back in Utah. We saw some guys that even played in Utah for the Grizzlies last year. They didn't even get their run. I don't think Bain even played in that one. Uh, I think he played. He didn't even play until they got to Las Vegas. So it would be interesting to see how they handle that. But I'm excited, man. Any kind of basketball, man, summer basketball, get these young guys out there and, and see what they can do. I'm really excited to see Roddy and Kenneth Lofton and Kenny Chandler out there and, and see the Ravy out there knocking out threes, man. It's going to be fun. And we're definitely going to be here on the Ethos Grizzlies podcast talking about it all. Yep, looking forward to it, man. I, I have a new Twitter at uh, just done. I had some comments about there, you know, people having issues finding it because I had way too many numbers and letters in there. So I changed it's NBA D will two one NBA at NBA D will 21. The show is at ethos Grizzlies. Candace is at Candace H nine zero one. Isaac is going to let you know where he can find where he knows where to find himself where you can find him. And we are going to get out of here. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, man. You can find me on Twitter at Isaac underscore Rivals. It's I-S-A-A-C underscore Rivals. Um, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Um, you, of course, you can find us at Ethos Grizz Grizzly. Give us a like and a follow there. And until next time, David, I'm at Isaac Simpson. We go. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.